So this evening we're going to be looking at our second uh, study in our series entitled Praying with Paul. Uh, Now Jeremy started this off for us uh, two weeks ago and we looked then at Praying uh, for Understanding. And this evening uh, we're going to be looking, or then rather, it was Ephesians 17, Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. This evening uh, we're going to be considering the subject of praying for strength. Uh, and we find that in Paul's prayer recorded in uh, the verses we've just read, Ephesians three fourteen to 21. And focusing particularly on verses 14 to 19. Now, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is different to some of the others that he wrote in that it doesn't deal with any specific issues or problems. In his letter to the Galatians, he deals with the problem that the circumcision group were causing for believers, trying to draw them away from the gospel, the gospel of faith in Jesus alone. And in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he's seeking to deal with various problems there. Problems of behaviour and belief in the church that they were experiencing. But here in Ephesians, as someone has put it, he wrote to expand the horizons of his readers so that they might understand better the dimensions of God's eternal purpose and grace and come to appreciate the high goals God has for the church. And what a wonderfully inspiring and uplifting theme uh, that is for a letter. And we can certainly see that intention coming through the prayer that he records in these verses. Now, I wonder what subjects normally occupy your prayers, what subjects normally occupy my prayers. Probably things like health concerns uh, for ourselves and for others. There might be issues of guidance that we're seeking or others are seeking, Uh, for situations that we might be facing, activities that we might be involved in. But whatever our prayers may be about, be they material uh, or spiritual, focusing on the salvation of the lost, and I'm sure we'll be doing both of those things later on, we also need to follow Paul's example in praying for the growth of spiritual maturity. Now Paul prayed for many things and we see some of those subjects, uh, the diversity uh, in Romans 15. We see him praying that he would be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that his service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And then in Romans 10.1, We read, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. But Paul didn't allow his prayers to stay there. And we indeed find him praying for the spiritual growth 
of the people he was writing to. We see an example of this in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 where we read, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And we find another example of this in the passage we're going to be looking at this evening. And what great examples they are of the way we can broaden our prayers. In fact, uh, one guy that was in a, a small group with us some time ago in another church, he was so touched by that particular passage, uh, that verse from Philippians, and the ones that follow it making up that prayer, that he started to use them in his own personal devotions. Now, it's good to pray for others, uh, for their material needs, and for ours, but it's also good to pray for the growth of spiritual life for one another as well. That God would enlarge our spiritual vision. That we might love him more. That our appreciation of who he is and what he's done for us might grow. So that said, let's have a look at this passage of Ephesians three fourteen to 19. Uh, and as we come to it this evening, uh, we need to decide how we're going to look at it. I mean, we could work through in detail, verse by verse, although that could take quite a long time. Uh, as in Martin Jones, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones' commentary on uh, the uh, third uh, chapter of Ephesians, he devotes five chapters to verse 17 alone. Each of those chapters was a sermon that he preached. Uh, but we're not going to be doing that tonight. We could focus on the themes that we find in the various verses. Uh, and there are a number of other ways that we could look at these verses. Now in 1 Kings 6 verse 7, we read that the temple Solomon built was constructed of stone blocks. And we can imagine the builders there placing one block on top of another and seeing the structure rise to the glory and praise of God. Well, as we consider our verses tonight, we're going to see how Paul, as it were, builds a tower to the glory of God, with each statement taking the form of a block, being laid one on top of another until he reaches the block right at the top and we find the goal of his prayer for the believers in Ephesus. So, verse 14. Let's look at Paul's preparation for prayer. Now, in that verse, we find what's motivating him. We read, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul's first action in seeking the good of these Ephesian Christians 
is to bow his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to pray for them. But we see in the first part of that verse that he's doing it for a particular reason. It's not a haphazard thing. He tells us, for this reason I bow my knees. So what is this reason? What is the reason that he mentions there? Well, initially, to find the answer to that, we need to go back to the first verse of chapter 3, where we find the same words, for this reason. And the reason for the duplication is that from verse 2 to verse 13, Paul digresses from his intended topic of prayer, and instead starts to speak about the ministry God has given him on behalf of the Ephesians. Now you might think that's a bit odd, but not for Paul. Digressions aren't unusual uh, for him in his letters. In fact, his most famous uh, digression runs for nearly five chapters. And that uh, you'll find in uh, his second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, and it runs between verse 14 of chapter 2 to verse 5 of chapter 7. That whole passage is a digression from what he's speaking on, and then he finally comes back uh, to his original message. Now, when he concludes uh, the digression here, uh, running through verses 2 to 13, he returns in verse 14 to the words he was originally starting off his prayer with, for this reason. Now, when he says that, Paul is referring to what he'd been speaking about in chapter 2, chapter 2 of Ephesians. And there he's speaking about the wonder of salvation by faith alone, through grace, and the way in which Jew and Gentile are united together in Christ. And because of these wonderful truths, for this reason, these wonderful truths, he now turns to God in prayer for the Ephesians, that they might grow in their faith and in their experience of God's wonderful love. And as he does this, he shows us the importance of prayer. When we want to help people in their Christian lives. We can do various things. We can talk to them. We can explain things to them. We can point them to good books. But above all, we need to pray for them, to ask God to bless them and to help them to grow, because ultimately He is the only one who can do that. And then in verse 16, we find the first of Paul's blocks, where he prays that God would grant them to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now this is important because this strengthening is going to provide the basis on which all of the other requests that Paul makes in this prayer are 
going to be built. Okay, so this is a sort of foundation on which all his other requests are going to be based. Now often when we hear the request to be strong in the Bible, that they refer to moral or physical strength. As when the Lord says to Joshua as he prepares to lead the Israelites into the promised land, he says to him, be strong and of good courage. But when Paul uses the term here, he's referring to spiritual strengthening. The spiritual strengthening that's needed for us to grow to the point where, as he says at the climax of the prayer, we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now you may be wondering why you need this spiritual strengthening. Why why do we need that? Well, in his commentary on Ephesians 3, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones highlights three reasons for us. Firstly, he points out that when we become Christians, we are babes in Christ, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. We need to be protected and nurtured so that we might grow into mature believers There's a progression in our spiritual lives. We start as babes in Christ and we grow. And the Apostle Paul illustrates that for us in chapter 2 of his first letter, where he speaks of little children, young men, and fathers. And so we see a spiritual progression, a spiritual growth. Secondly, uh, Lloyd-Jones says that we need to be strengthened because of the devil, because of the attacks that he brings, because we are called to wrestle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, as we read in Ephesians 6.12. Now, as uh, Lloyd-Jones puts it, The inner man needs to be strengthened because this power is not only great in might, but also in subtlety and cunning. So the devil is not only powerful, but he is also subtle and cunning. And we need strength to be able to resist him and to be able to identify the false teaching and deceptions he might bring to us as part of his Uh, cunning and subtlety and I'm sure we can see there are plenty of false teachings around today many sadly affecting the church but particularly as we hear in the areas of sexual ethics and ideology we abound with false teachings and we need to be alert to them so we need to be strengthened and thirdly Lord Jones points out that the inner strengthening is needed because of the sheer greatness, the sheer greatness of that which is offered to us in the climax of Paul's prayer, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. We need the strengthening of God to be able to receive that. So having prayed that the Ephesians might be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, Paul then goes on to lay the next block on top, 
and we find that in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this doesn't mean that the Ephesians weren't uh, believers. They didn't have faith. Uh, Paul isn't saying that. He's not praying this, that they might receive it. They've already received the gift of salvation, but as yet they are immature. And so Paul is praying that their experience of Christ might grow by the power of the Spirit so that he truly dwells, dwells in their hearts. The heart being the centre of our being that has control over thoughts, words and actions. And that as Christ dwells there, that they will grow to become more Christ-like, more mature, being rooted and grounded in love. Empowering them, as Proverbs 8 says, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We then find in the next block, verse 18 to the first part of verse 19, such that having been strengthened with might, they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's almost as if Paul is so overwhelmed by trying to describe it that he rushes out in the end with to know the love that passes knowledge. It is so great. And as Paul comes to describe the greatness of the Lord Jesus, he uses each of the four dimensions to try and convey how vast it is. It's a love that's so wide and long and deep and high that it reaches out to all people, rich and poor, weak and strong, from our country and to every other country on the face of the world. It reaches across the centuries. It reaches on into eternity. And it promises salvation, forgiveness and new life to all who will accept it and turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. And as the commentator William Hendrickson puts it, Paul prays that the Ephesians, and we, may concentrate so intensely and exhaustively on the immensity and glory of Christ's love that they will come to understand that this love ever surpasses knowledge. And then in verse, or the second part of verse 19, Paul lays his final block as he reaches the climax of his prayer, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that having been strengthened, knowing Christ's indwelling and comprehending the immensity of his love, they may be filled 
with all the fullness of God. Rejoicing in him, serving him and worshipping him in ever increasing measure. And we can be assured of that. Because as verse 20 tells us, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works 